Jeff, thank you so very much. This is Memorial Day weekend. Every American ought to recognize this day and honor those who gave their lives to make America what it is today. Free and strong. With all of our weaknesses, we are still the strongest, most influential nation in the world to keep the peace and to do that which is right. Because men and women have died for this country, we have a right to gather today and to worship freely and as we choose. We have the right to live at peace in our own homes and make decisions because someone was willing to go and to give that last measure. We can have peace and prosperity and happiness. We need to thank God today and this weekend for that. We never need to forget that sacrifice that was made. A million people died for that. Almost half of them died in the war between the states. 50,000 died in Vietnam. People are dying today for us to have that freedom. And they stand and guard what is precious to us. And we should never, ever take it for granted. And I pray that you will remember this and never forget it. And may God bless America even now as we're gathered here to worship. Today we're considering the birth of the church, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the filling of the Holy Spirit within the believer. All these things are encapsulated in the second chapter of Acts. And it's so powerful, the story that is told here. The miracle that only God could perform in restoring mankind from their division that was created at the Tower of Babel. 2,200 years before the Acts passage, God scattered and dispersed the people by language because they felt they could build an idol and an altar to get to heaven without Him. It was not that they had made it, it's that in their hearts they had turned from God. I want you to think about that. It was barely a hundred years since the end of Noah's flood. And in a hundred years, that population that was left, literally eight people, had drifted that far from God. You can start out on a morning worshiping God and preparing your heart for Him. And if you're not careful, you can drift from Him immediately before the end of that day. And that's why it's so important for us to stay close to God, even in a time like this. Even in days that are discouraging. I remember when I started driving in 1976, and, and gas was high back then, and, and, and you couldn't borrow any money to buy any gas. And, and now, gas is higher than it's ever been. And there doesn't seem to be a change on the horizon. But you know what? Our redemption does not rest in Washington. It rests in Jesus Christ. And our hope is set on Him. And because of that, we don't become discouraged. The church is mighty and powerful. It's not a building, although this is a wonderful building. The church is greater than that. The church is not just one group at one time. All through history, God has called His people together to be obedient and to follow Him. Before the Messiah came to live the perfect life and die the perfect death, people were living and sacrificing, and looking forward to the time when He would come. And because of that, we are faithful today, 
and we trust in Him, and we know that He will bless us beyond all blessings in this world if we'll only trust Him. It is so important for us to do that. When the Bible talks about the church, it's referring always to the people of God. And I want to think today about the two great things that happened in this passage and, and think about how they've influenced us in a mighty way and how they've changed the world that we live in. As dark as the world has grown, as it's drifted away from the truth, in fact, even, even the uh, great thinkers of our time call this period the post-Christian era. What they don't realize is that Christ is still alive and he's still active and he's still involved in the lives of those who will trust him. And they can call it post-Christian, but the only reason this world is held together is because Christ deems it to be that way. And therefore, we still trust in him. Jesus promised two great events here, and, and the first is the birth of the church. And he said in Matthew 16, Upon this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church. Now I want to remind you, there was a play on words that was there, and, and if you're not careful, you'll get confused in uh, listening to a play on words. Simon Peter had said some bold things. But Jesus looked at him, and in the language that they spoke in that day, he said, you're the pebble. Petros, you're the little rock, but upon Petra, speaking of himself, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No, the church was not built on the shoulders of Simon Peter. It wouldn't have lasted but a week. He was very weak, and, and, and he had a way of proclaiming great things, and he sounded great to begin with, but then he failed when he stood the test. No, the church wasn't built on Simon Peter. It was built on Jesus Christ. And because of that, the church still stands. And because of that, we still trust. And because of that, we have hope and help. And because of that, the church goes from generation to generation. And we'll continue to do that until our Lord returns and calls the church together and closes that relationship. I trust in Him, and I pray that you do also. And in this Memorial Day weekend, when we celebrate and remember those who gave that last great measure of commitment that we could be here. I'm reminded that many of them closed their eyes in this world looking toward a better place in heaven and trusted in that. Our soldiers have marched for 200 years off to battle, understanding that they were called not by a government, but called by a God that loved them. And they were found faithful in that. Now the second thing that's mentioned here that's so powerful to me is the coming of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit was so significant because if you remember in the beginning when people uh, were, were given salvation, the Holy Spirit had not come because Jesus was still there. And Jesus said that, that he did not want anyone to get confused. He wanted to speak boldly and speak frankly and speak to them and guide them. But the Holy Spirit would be within them and would not contradict him. And he wanted them to hear one voice. So he said, when I'm gone, the Holy Spirit will come. And this is the time that he was speaking of to happen. John 14, 16 says, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now remember this, both of these events took place at the same time on the same day. Think about that. The beginning of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit. What a powerful thing to happen to them. You know, 
I've, I've heard people say before, oh, we had a revival over in so-and-so church, and, and it was like Pentecost all over again. Don't ever believe anyone that says that. There's only one Pentecost. It happened once, it'll never happen again. At Pentecost, we have the, the birth of the church, and then the, literally the coming of the Holy Spirit upon those believers there. That can never happen again. It happened for a very special reason. In, in the first four verses here, we have four important supernatural elements that we need to examine and we need to understand. The first two we've looked at already, the church, the idea that the church is one body of believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all believers are made one by that baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not the baptism that comes here. It's the baptism when you ask Jesus in your heart today. If you're not a believer and you pray today and you say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know without you I'm hopeless and helpless. I call upon you to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and free me of all the penalties of sin. In your name I pray. The moment you pray that prayer and you mean it, at that moment the Holy Spirit comes within you and takes up residence. I've had, I've had people say, you know, I'm different now. And it's not just that I've turned. It's that something has turned toward me inside. And that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks. I can speak to you and you can ignore me. Uh, you can fall asleep. We were talking this morning about people that fall asleep in church. And they do that. But the reality is you cannot fall asleep to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit speaks, you will hear Him. He has a way of speaking that's much louder than an audible voice. It's within you. It's a voice that when you hear it, you will not mistake it. It's not your conscience. It's much deeper than that. Much deeper than that. Sometimes it brings tears of remembrance. Sometimes it makes you laugh. Because you're so happy that you're going through this world and you're not alone. Sometimes it gives you a sense of peace because you know that God is there. And anything that touches you must first touch Him. That's what you go through in that relationship. But today we're going to consider the filling of the Spirit. And that's verses 2 and 3 here about the receiving of the Spirit. And I want to think for a little bit about what that means. This is probably one of the most maligned and misused terms in, in, in all of Scripture. People love to use it for their own abilities and their own talents. But I want to go back and look at exactly what this is saying and why this is happening here. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs the moment that you're saved. It's not a, an extra gift that comes along. Scripture bears it true that it comes at that time of salvation. Romans 8 9 says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Ephesians 5.18 tells us, Do not get drunk with wine wherein is excess, but instead be filled with the Spirit. The reality is God gives us the Holy Spirit at that time because we need that guidance. We can't depend on our eyes and our ears and our brains to seek out where we should go in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is our guide. 
But I want to think more than that about what's happening here in this event because sometimes people get confused about what's going on here. The, the dispersion of the gospel through speaking in other languages was a remarkable occurrence for a purpose. Stop and think about this. And I realized this when I had been here at the church for a couple of years. Now, we've got a smaller crowd today because some of our folks are worshiping down on the beach, and I don't know if they went to Florabama for the service today or not, but they're down there worshiping, and I'm glad. Uh, I apologize because when I was there last week, there was no seaweed on the beach, and now it's totally inundated. So that was not my fault. I didn't call that in. I pray that it stay away. But many people are down at the beach, but when this church is full, I realized some time ago that the folks that sit over here don't necessarily know the folks over there. And the ones in the balcony don't know the ones that are sitting over here uh, in the Mallory room. You assume sometimes everybody knows everybody in church, but they don't. Sometimes you just know the circle that's in your Sunday school class. And sometimes you have to introduce people in a Sunday school class because some people sit on one side and they don't talk to the folks on the other. Not that there's anything wrong with them. They just have their circle of friends. Now, understanding that and knowing that, I want to project on your minds the image of the gospel going out during that time. The people spoke Aramaic. That would have been the language of the day then. Even though Scripture is written in Greek, the New Testament is, and, and uh, unless you get to the Septuagint that was in Latin, it was interpreted from the Greek into the Latin, the people spoke Aramaic by and large. But there were many languages that were spoken. I grew up in Atlanta. And the only language they spoke in Atlanta when I was a child was English. And it was a rather southern version of English. We had our own way of saying everything. Uh, anybody that said, use guys, we knew they weren't from Atlanta. It was y'all. But now Atlanta's not that city anymore. I go back there, it doesn't look like that. And it doesn't behave like that. Some friends of ours own the IHOPs in, in, in the Atlanta area, the franchise, and I'll never forget going into one for breakfast one day, and I didn't hear English spoken by anybody there. I said, you know, this really is the international house of pancakes. These folks are speaking every language but that. I was in Alpharetta, Georgia. Now, that is more like the community of Jerusalem in that day. You could have 100 people in a room, and there could be 20 languages being spoken. Had the gospel remained in Aramaic or even in Aramaic and Greek, it would have touched the people that spoke those languages and had never gone beyond that. The Christian movement would have ended there. But it was not God's desire for that to happen. He wanted there to be a dispersion of the gospel to everyone. He didn't want there to be anyone that didn't have an opportunity to choose the truth of Jesus Christ. And so that's why at Pentecost, people began to speak in, in other languages, not some strange tongue that no one understood, but everybody in that room was being spoken to. Everybody in that circle heard the gospel in their own language. Even though everyone speaking was from Galilee and spoke Aramaic. 
Only God could do that. Because he wanted the gospel to go forth and to touch every person. Do you realize if they had not had that experience that day at Pentecost, we wouldn't be here today? We are directly influenced by what happened there and the dispersion of the gospel that we know went as far as the UK or Great Britain. The gospel traveled to all parts of Europe, into Asia, down into Africa. The gospel was not limited to one place. And that's why it's so important. These were real languages that were spoken. And because of that, God is saying, I love you. And I don't want you to be lost. I don't want there to be any hindrance or encumbrance of you getting the truth. Now in light of that, I want you to realize that even in the community we live in here in Selma, there are divisions. You may not see them, but the walls are there. There are people that will never set foot in a church as far as coming to a service. They feel that church is not for them. They didn't grow up that way, and they don't understand a lot about it. As The example I give many young people is this. To look at this church, for some people from the outside looking at the building, it's as foreign as you standing and looking at a Masonic temple if you're not a Mason, or looking at, 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 at a, a third world country that may have a pagan temple there. You looking at that and wondering what goes on inside there. You have no idea, none whatsoever. And the reality is there are people around us, very close to us, here in Selma that don't know the gospel, that don't understand that Jesus died for their sins. There are many people that see the church as a place to get help. If they need money or food or clothes or someone to pay for a room for the night, they come to the church. But as far as coming for the gospel, they, they don't feel like they need it. And, and their situation is like many people in the world today. They don't see there to be a need in their life as long as they can use their own talents and their abilities and their skills to get by. Many people call Christianity a crutch. And they say, no, as long as I can live by my wits, I'll live fine. And that goes for the people that, that feel that financially they don't need God, and so they live as they live and they have everything they need in the way of material things, and therefore they don't feel like they need God. And it's true also for people that are very poor. And their subsistence does not cause them to subsist very well, and they come to the church for help. And they'll take help from us, but they wouldn't dare take the gospel. They feel that that would be an intrusion in their life. But that's why we continue to give. Because one day, some way, Something will happen in their life where their heart will open up and they'll have a need. They'll hear the truth and it will land on a soul that's as fertile as the ground when you place the right seed there and it'll burst forth and germinate and it'll create life. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we share like we share right now next door. All the kids that were here are not over there playing. Oh, they may be coloring and talking and everything, but they're, they're giving a lesson there about the gospel. The seeds are being planted that will one day germinate. It will make a difference in their lives. We don't do what we do here simply to take up time and to have a program. We, we follow in the footsteps of our Lord, who is willing to sow seeds 
from the smallest child to the most senior person in the community. And that's why we do what we do. You know, it's amazing when they began to speak there, the Jewish believers were astonished. They couldn't believe that Gentiles could receive the Holy Spirit. Think about this. There were Jews there that had converted to Christianity, and they, they had a problem with Gentiles coming into the faith. They struggled with that. There's a reason why God spoke to both the Apostle Paul and to Simon Peter about these issues of getting rid of the dietary laws and the restriction that, that kept them away from Gentiles. It wasn't, a, it wasn't that they were saying, oh, food's clean now and you can eat it. They were saying, don't restrict people's access to Christ because of the Old Testament laws. And yet we do that today in our own way. We hold the gospel back from people because we feel like, well, you know, they're not like us. It might be an intrusion in the way we live. If that's in your heart, confess it and forsake it. Because you may be the doorway in the entrance to heaven for someone that may not look or act like you. They may be below you or above you. They may be better educated than you or have no education at all. They may live in your neighborhood or somewhere else. They may be a transient that's just coming through town. But you are given the blessed opportunity to sow the seeds of hope in their heart. And you must do that. I'm so glad that God in His wisdom brought forth that group of Galileans and gave them those languages to speak. Can you imagine what that sounded like? Now, to the outside here, it sounded like confusion, but I guarantee you, if they were speaking uh, the language of a certain person there, they heard it clearly, audibly, and in their heart. What it said to them was, God loves you, and the truth of the gospel is to reach you and your people. I think every person there from another area was to take that truth with them. And the good news spread. Don't be a hindrance to the gospel going forth. Don't allow your indiscriminate thoughts and your lack of kindness restrict the gospel for someone. Find a way to share the truth. I had a friend in youth group that every time they called on him to pray, we got comfortable. Jeff, he was older than you, but he would start to pray, and we all knew we were going to be there a while. He prayed about everything. He would pray about his hamster at home. He would pray about his aunt's bunions. He'd pray about almost anything. He would go from one end to the other praying. But you know what? He got a little older. He went to college, became an accountant with Arthur Anderson, and guess where he found a minister. Y'all are going to love this. He came up to me one day and, and I said, Richard, how are you doing these days? He said, oh, I'm doing great. I'm in so-and-so church and, and we're in Dunwoody. And he said, I found a ministry. I said, oh, really? What do you do? He said, I've got a prison ministry. I go and preach at the jails. I thought, how wonderful. They can't run away like we wanted to. And he had gotten so much better. He had advanced, he'd moved beyond the things that got him scattered and distracted. And he said, you know, what's wonderful 
is he said, I get to speak to men whose lives are messed up. And he said, not all of them, but every once in a while, you can see that one who's got that glimmer of hope that's looking for a way to get out of the, 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 this horrible life that they're in. And I said, tell me what you do. And he said, my wife and I find their family and bring them to our house. And we have a meal and we pray for the husband that's in jail. We continue with that family. And he said, once a month I gather all the families together and we have a cookout at our house. And he said, when the dads get out of jail, we get them back together and we remain with them. I said, that is wonderful. I said, how do you do that? He said, well, it's getting tough. He said, the last time we had a cookout at my house, he said, we had 600 people there. But he said, you know what's happened? He said, in my neighborhood, the people around me have figured out what we were doing and they come and help. Because they realize what we're doing is we're mending families and putting them back together. But we're doing it in an enjoyable way. That's exactly what we're called to do. That's what this church is called to do. Not just in that way, but in our own way. In, in, in ways that you work individually, where you go and where you serve. Whether you're at Selmont Service Center sharing the gospel whether you're Robert putting a display up for Pepsi and talking to a young person about Jesus, wherever you are, you go and you share that truth. I've heard the gospel spread all over Selma, Alabama. I've stood at Mark's Mart, and I've heard Ken speak very plainly about the truth of Jesus Christ to those there in a very loving way. Of course, you have a lot of practice in Sunday school getting ready for that. That's great. That's wonderful. God wants us to do that. He wants us to find our place of ministry where we're called to be a missionary. Yes, we support missions and we support the work of Christ, but we also must participate in it on our own. That's what God calls us to do. On this Memorial Day weekend when we are still and we celebrate that someone gave so much so we could be here, as the old saying goes, all gave some and some gave all. As we celebrate and appreciate that, let us have a time of reverence and say, our time is running short. We must share the gospel with truth. We must share it here in Selma. We must make a difference because the day will come and the door will close and we won't be able to do that. And that's why what we do today is so very important. And that's why the truth of the gospel must continue to assimilate out to those who need it. And guess what? You're the device by which we assimilate the truth. God bless you. And please be diligent in what you do. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that in your holy word, you give us such clear directions about what we should do. There is no confusion. There is no frustration. There is no angst about what we do. We know clearly what you called us to do. We must be obedient. We must do it thoroughly. And we must do it constantly. For those who need truth are before us always. And may we go forth and share that truth. For you have equipped us with the greatest possession we could ever have. The Holy Spirit of God. When we begin to speak... 
It's not our words that come out. The Holy Spirit will guide us. We will share truth. It will come to remembrance in such a way that when we speak what we say, we will stand in awe of our words and we'll understand they were really not our words. They were yours, Father. And we thank you for that. Now, may we be bold enough to speak and breach that gap that holds us back so often. Father, speak to someone today who's been called to speak boldly, and they've yet to do that. They've been shy. They've been afraid. They've been fearful. I pray that you will give them the authority and the power, even now, as they are praying, to speak to that person, that friend, that neighbor, that that family member that needs to hear the gospel, that they'll be prepared to do that. And may we be thankful that so many lives were given so we could have a freedom such as this, and may we take advantage of that freedom even now as we leave this place, and may we let someone know of the hope that's within our hearts. Now, Father, bless those who have a decision to make today, and may it be a decision that they give to you and they trust you with, and they find themselves obedient, moving forward to that which is right. We thank you, God, that you challenge us in such a brave way, in such a bold way. But then again, you did bold things for us when you sent your son to die. And we trust you today. May we respond adequately in this time of invitation. For we pray all this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.